But even on your own social media channels, you have to be willing to tell your story and you have to tell it well enough to make people go, hey, I'm really I'm attracted to this. So I think that often they don't think about public relations and their whole strategy because they're just doggy paddling, just trying to make everyday work. That is Katrina Cravey, a former Emmy Award winning consumer reporter and TV host. She's written a book on air, Insider Secrets to Attract the Media and Get Free Publicity. But this book has broad applications for any type of media attention you may be seeking. This is a fun, fast-paced conversation where we talk about Katrina's have formula that can be applied in any context where you are selling a product or an idea. We're going to hear about charisma and the fascinating business Katrina has founded behind that word, killer filler words, the power pose, the seven second rule. I promise your mind will be inspired and even enlarged by the wisdom Katrina Cravey brings us in this upcoming conversation here on CFO Bookshelf. I took my first public relations course when working on my first degree at a liberal arts university, and I was intrigued. I didn't start to learn the power of PR until around 2006 or seven when I was first introduced to a PR professional. Katrina's book is not a PR book per se, but it is a book I recommend to founders and CEOs just to get PR PR and their business acumen. And as you'll learn in this conversation, On Air is far more than a PR book or how to land on your local TV station or even being interviewed on 60 Minutes. I love origin stories, and Katrina started in high school, where it appeared being a journalist was in her future plans. It's always great when an origin story starts on a Xerox piece of paper, that that was the newspaper for seventh grade back then. But my teacher had given me the assignment of going and asking the principal why the boys got the gym full time and the girls had to go across the street and be at the Veterans Memorial Building, which had a floor that was all pitted up and they had learned to pass the ball to each other off the cracks. And it was right during Title IX, which, of course, everybody wanted equal for the boys and the girls. And I asked the principal, I'm like, if you had to give the gym to anyone right now, who would you give it to? after we had talked all this through. And he said, the boys. And I said, okay, I didn't play basketball, Mark. I didn't care. Um, I mean, I cared, but I went back and wrote this article. And then all of a sudden it had been censored. And I didn't even know what censored meant. And everybody was upset at the school. The athletic director was yelling at me. And I realized, oh, articles in journalism have power. These adults are talking to me like I'm a real adult. And the superintendent of the schools decided that there was going to be a different decision and that the end of the article needed to change because they were going to split up the gym half time to the girls and half time to the boys. And it was a really big deal. Um, I never got a date with a basketball player in high school. (laughs) But by the time I got to high school, my high school journalism teacher said, I've been waiting for you. He's like, I heard you were coming and that you were probably going to be a journalist. And I I saw the power in the pen and it was an incredible feeling. You knew you wanted to be a journalist at that time? 
at that time, I knew I wanted to have influence. I wanted to make a change. I think all of us do, don't we, in some ways that we are doing work that is meaningful. So for me, journalism was that I wanted to hear real stories from people and I wanted to help them on whatever journey they were in. And if I could highlight their story, that was always the start. I'm one of those weird people, Katrina. I also read the back matter and the acknowledgments uh, in every book. And you did mention, and I'm looking at his name, from your Clovis High School journalism class, you mentioned him in the in the book, and I, I highlighted that. I just how cool, Mr. Menindian. Yep. And I hope he got yeah, this. I appreciate I appreciate you giving a shout out to Clovis High. Go Clovis High. We were we were the Cougars back then before I knew what Cougars really meant. Uh, now, so it's pretty funny. But Mr. Menindian was a terrific journalism teacher, and he came. So Clovis is in California, and uh, he came to Chicago with his family and then drove up here to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which is where I am now, to visit because he said one of the few students that I had that went on to really have a profession in journalism. What a great story. And I may get the order out of sequence. I apologize. So from reporter to author to small business coach, and again, I may have gotten the sequencing off. No, you got it right. But how did wh- wh- how did that how did that come about? Why why did why did you say it's time for me to do something different? I think after 20 plus years of doing anything and you know that you've tackled it and I did it well and I wanted a new challenge. I get bored really easily and I know for a lot of people out there if you're an entrepreneur you you have that spirit. And everyone was always asking me, how do I get on your show? Because I was on head of a talk show too, and I was a consumer investigative reporter for years. So everyone wanted to know, how do I get coverage and how do I get on your show? And I finally decided, well, I'm just going to write a book about it. And it's really how to get attention. And once I realized that, um, it's had a lot broader applications, which has been tremendous for the company that I'm with now is Charisma Q. So we test your charisma levels, talk about getting attention when we think of charismatic people and charismatic leaders. And it really is about making sure that you care about other people and that you're giving them what they need as well. And That's the origin of, okay, how do you go from journalism to starting your own company? It's, I wanted to solve a problem that everybody was asking me. So I would say for your listeners, if there's something that you're continually being asked and you have a great deal of knowledge in that space, that's where you start to go. Like, listen to those people. Start to listen. Before we get into the book, I want to bring up one more thing. 60 Minutes, you've had a client get on 60 Minutes. How cool was that? It was incredible. And the client that I have is an engineer. And he said, I thought becoming an engineer meant I never had to actually talk to people. He's like, I didn't want to talk to people. But he's the CEO of a large corporation that was asked to speak on this subject. And Steve Croft was the reporter for 60 Minutes. And when you're preparing a client to be on a national broadcast, you have to adapt and become that reporter when you're doing the media training with them. 
So just like Mark, you do incredible research for your show. I had to do incredible research on, let me watch everything of Steve Croft. Let me get exactly like him in the way that I banter and the way that I'm asking my questions so that I can get my client fully prepared. And it was an amazing experience when we, after we got done, Steve Croft's um, producer called me the next day and he said, your guy had complete conviction. It's like way better than the representative who wrote the bill. And I, I said, thank you very much. And I'll let him know. And I never told him like, as you never tell this, it took hours and hours of practice. I mean, we had a full crew with video and lights and everything to make that mock situation and practice five days straight before we ever walked into the studio so that he was completely prepped. But it takes, I, I think that people, when they say that all the world's a stage, so many people are so under-rehearsed. We haven't rehearsed for some of the biggest moments of our lives. And we think that winging it is going to work because it worked for us in the past, but it's not really a thoughtful approach to how you want to get in front of people. And I hope you don't mind me asking that question first, because this little book you've written is brilliant. It is a gem. It's a gold mine. And the 60 minute stories to me just validates every word that's in this book. So that's why I brought that up first. So thank you. I want to, so I hope you don't mind me thinking about this book that has a broader application. Even though you come from the TV world, as I read this, I thought, no, wait a minute. This applies podcasts, text-based interviews. It does. It really does. And my business partner, it's been incredible because the must-have formula, which I know we'll talk about the must-have formula, the formula to get the media's attention which is really what I wrote it about was like how to pitch the media and how to get them to do your story. But if you think about it, if you can sell it to the media, you can sell anything. So that's why she's like, okay, this formula and way that you're telling people to get other people's attention is far reaching. I mean, we work with sales teams. Now we work with emerging leader teams, people that have been identified as high potential potential directors in their company. Um, we work with C-suite level people that are getting their presentations together. So they're going up in front of their board. They're going up in front of large audiences. Wouldn't you want someone who has that television aspect of here's high level communication, here's high level production value, which again, it's all performance, right? People think they're presentations, but they're truly performances. That has far-reaching capabilities, which when I wrote it, I didn't think about that. Like, I just thought everyone asked me how to get on TV. They didn't ask me how to get attention. And I will be rewriting it. It's just we've been so busy. I haven't. So thank you, Mark, for bringing that up. It will be refreshed eventually. And I want to add another bullet point behind your back. And if you want to push back, feel free to. But behind your back, I bring up PR behind your back. Because when I tell people, when if you're looking for a book about PR, I always recommend your book. So I, I, Thanks. you're probably getting some sales here and there because of, uh, again, th there's a PR element to this. So I want to ask you just a quick PR question: Why is it that enough small businesses don't even think about a PR? It's it's not even in their part of their acumen. You have an mm -hmm. opinion about that? 
I think many people think that getting media attention or even social media attention now, because all of us can be our own channel, right? If it, if it makes you nervous to think about, well, I don't want to get the local paper, or I don't want to have the radio station, or I don't want to have the local TV station coming to my company. Okay, that's fine. I get that that can be stressful sometimes. But even on your own social media channels, you have to be willing to tell your story. And you have to tell it well enough to make people go, hey, I'm really, I'm attracted to this. So I think that often they don't think about public relations and their whole strategy because they're just doggy paddling, just trying to make everyday work. That strategy of, okay, now I need a bigger audience. They haven't probably thought that through. They're, they probably are thinking, I'm just going to email our clients and keep a news list of emails, right? And send out my newsletter. But what if you could get in front of a whole new audience in front of thousands of other people with one move? And I'm all about like, what are your outcomes? You can keep doing these little bits, right? And I think you've just had another um, author on about outcomes over output. It's so true. It's like that the outcomes is what you want. So you've got to think, where are the people that I want to attract? What are they thinking, feeling, and doing or reading? or listening to, and how do I get on those channels? You've already brought up the must-have formula. So, and I love that framework, that mental construct. I'm going to let you go over it real quickly. Okay, great. Yes, the must-have formula. Have, I'm big into acronyms. Have is the hook. There's got to be a hook for you getting the attention now. What is in it for the audience? And that's the biggest thing, the A. The A is audience benefit. It has to benefit the audience in some way. The V is visual. Can you make it visual? We all love visually learning. And then the E is, can you be engaging? Have high energy. I mean, whatever E word you want, you've just got to bring it when you're in that moment that matters. So the A is the audience benefit, which I think is the most important. So often people will say, well, we're having our 40th anniversary. Why don't you do a story on us? I hate to be the so what person, but what's in it for the audience? Tell me some lessons that you've learned in those 40 years. Give some bit of information that the audience can use for them. Because yes, it's great to say, hey, happy 40th. But after that, where does the conversation go? We need to keep that conversation moving. And it's really about how much can you give to the audience? Is it going to save them time or money? Is it going to be something new that they've never heard before that's going to be fascinating to them? But really, what are you doing for them? Because it's not about you. Of the people you've heard from, the people that you've coached, mentored, what is the biggest shortcoming of have, of this have formula? Where do you see people constantly, or is it all over the board? The biggest problem I see, especially in professional public relations companies, and I've gone and spoken in front of their societies as well is that they write so long they're so they write it really well but the email at first glance cuz everything can be visual too right and we all know that we get those long emails where we go I'll read it later but you never do so for me it is about those outcomes and you think you're being very smart by writing a really long thoughtful email and that's actually the worst thing you can do journalists need to know and any person needs to know the what the when, the where, the how, right away. Give it to me in bullet points. 
tell me what's in it for me and for my audience. If I was still a journalist, like what's in it for us, why you should do this. And the other thing too, is don't write everything with every paragraph starts with, I did this, I did this, I did that. If you can look through your email and take out every I and change it to a you statement and make it about the other person, you're going to see much greater results. Who should think about being on TV? And it can be radio or it can be some other uh, media venue, but who should be considering? And again, I know it's, it's obvious, but I still want to ask anyway. I think anyone who has a great story to tell or some information that needs to be said and needs to be shared. I honestly think it can be any small business. You have a, there is something there. I can guarantee you that if you started to talk to me, I would eventually, I, because I 20 plus years of doing it, I'd go, Oh, here's your hook. Here's your audience benefit. This is how you do this. And this is how we would get you in. Like, that's just a way you have to know it, but really it is for anybody that has something that's for the audience. If I can back up just a little bit, Katrina, the people who may say, well, what's going to be the impact? So I do, maybe I do have this great story to tell, but what's going to be the impact? Because it's going to be covered by my local uh, TV station. So I'm in rural Missouri. So we have the School of, we have the school of Journalism, uh, KOMU, uh, Columbia, Missouri. Um, it goes out maybe 40, 50 miles. Of course, it depends on, I guess, if you have Dish Network or whatever, uh, we have KRCG in Jefferson City. But again, these are very, very tiny markets. And so some people may be thinking, yeah, what's the impact? So, Right. What? Yeah. And the impact would be customers, right? Why do you do it? Is the juice worth the squeeze? If you're going to do the work, what do you want out of it? And the major, major thing is write down what is success to you. If I do this interview, what is it going to lead to? What do I really want from it? When we used to cover a lot of local businesses, it might be, okay, a restaurant. They're packed for weeks. People can't because they saw the dish on TV. It may be that they came in to give the recipe away. Do you ever really make the recipe? No, you don't, but you want to go to their restaurant later. So it is about who do you want to attract? First off, thinking about who is my audience? And what is the best vehicle to get in front of them? Is it a trade magazine? It may not even be the local. It may be a trade magazine. What do they need to know that will put me out there as a thought leader? And that's the way they need to start thinking about it. But what what do you want out of this interview? It, it could be recognition. Now you're going to take that interview and you're going to blast that to all your customers to keep top of mind and show that you have legitimacy. Because everyone who sees anybody in an article or on the radio or TV immediately thinks they've been vetted. They have authority. I learned this in your book, Katrina. If you want to be on TV, be interviewed, uh, be part of a story, uh, get to know your news anchor or the producer. Great advice. Let's pick an example to make this tangible. I like working with uh, temp staffing agencies. Employment comes up a lot. Well, when I say a lot, relatively frequently throughout the year, especially when we hear unemployment numbers, uh, you've worked with a lot with people. Some of your interviews, I've heard about uh, people doing interviews. So it's a great, great topic. My question for you is, 
what's the best way to reach out to that news anchor or that producer? All their social media channels. Never in the history of mankind could we stalk somebody as easily as we can stalk them now. So I would say start following them on Twitter. Typically, Twitter for news is probably your best, although I don't know after this latest Elon Musk uh, taking over Twitter. Um, But typically in news, we would go after looking at people on their Twitter page because that's what they're putting out there. And then probably next Facebook. Start making comments on the things that they're putting out there just so that they get used to seeing your name and your face and going, oh, okay, this is an engaged person who's engaged with my work. Right? I want to see they're engaged with my work. And then you can start putting out some pitches. We've been really successful. I have a client and I teach people how to do this. I don't do the public relations myself, but I have a client that's getting great response on just direct messaging reporters on Twitter. Not even sending emails, not writing press releases that take so long just building relationships on social channels and then saying, hey, would you be interested in this? And then going, yeah, tell me more. And then you can write a little longer or have that phone conversation, actually pick up a phone. What about LinkedIn? Have you found any success with people using LinkedIn to reach out to? LinkedIn is, yeah, LinkedIn is not bad. Journalists have not taken LinkedIn to heart the way that the business world has. It's not to say you couldn't try there, but you probably have greater success on the other channels. And the next question. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And the next question, and you bring up both, but through my ignorance, is it better to try to reach out to the the anchor, the, the writer, the reporter, or the producer? We'll be right back. Hey, you. Yeah, you listening. Do you like personal finance or real estate? Are you itching to build wealth and create a better life for yourself or your family? Then you need to come check out the Life, Money, and More podcast with real estate agent, YouTuber, and actor, Sage Weiss. This isn't your average finance show. We dive deep and do not sugarcoat topics around money and life. The Life, Money, and More podcast releases two episodes a week just for you because we're all about helping you win in this crazy world we live in. Come join the thousands of listeners on the Life, Money, and More podcast. The producer, just for everybody to understand, the producer is in charge of the show. They build the show on what is the content. Who are we going to invite to interview? So the producer is an unsung hero. You don't see the producer. You probably are going to have a difficult time figuring out who is the producer of the show. Unless you call the TV station or you call the newspaper and always ask for the assignment desk. Okay. The assignment desk gives out all the stories of the day because they've got, hey, all these people sent us press releases on things that are happening today. And then the assignment editor hands those jobs out, so to speak. But they can also tell you who is the producer of that particular show. And that's very important to know. Um, Getting in touch with the anchor, great way because the anchor wants to be seen as, hey, I'm still bringing content to this show. I'm not just a talking head. I do do have some ability to keep people engaged with me uh, and the reporters. What you don't want to do is send out a mass mail that lists them all because 
we all have a tendency to say, oh, that went to everybody. Somebody will take care of it. And no one ever does. So you want to do one person at a time. Don't do a group group email. I want to throw out a couple of examples, a couple of different businesses where it may be a myth of what we're talking about. Let's say, let's pick a, let's pick a, a product that we're all familiar with. Of course, now I'm drawing a blank. I use Smartsheet. It's an online project management tool. I think they've gone public. Uh, I was one of their first customers. So any online software, Canva, I know a lot of people use Canva. They may think, okay, I'm an online product. Everyone can see us. We can do, you know, AdWords, things like that. We're a national brand. I don't need to be on TV or I don't need to be in some other some other type of media. Is that a myth? I'm going to answer like an attorney. Yes and no. <laughs> on the one hand. Hey, on the one hand, on the one hand, if they're reaching their goals and they don't need the extra coverage and they have a really great brand fan base, then no, I don't think they need to have that extra coverage. If they're finding, hey, people are not using the software in the way that they could, maybe there's features that they didn't realize are great features. The That must-have formula and that audience benefit aspect of it could be their next YouTube video, could be their next training great point. video. Great point. So, and how do you make that? a minute 30 because people have short attention spans. So that comes into the E, the engaging part. How do you give them the hook? How do you write that great subject line for that YouTube um, video that will get people to watch it? And I don't think people recognize that in TV news writing, we were sent to tease writing school, which is huge on the must-have formula because you've got to have subject lines not only for all your social media content, but even your email outreach that have those aspects of it that make people want to open it up. There's some human neuroscience triggers to get you to watch the content, read the email, and all those things they can do themselves. So even if they are a large software, there's always something that they need to teach. And, and again, Excellent point. And that's why I go back to what I said earlier, Katrina, this book is universal. It's, even though the name of the book is on air, again, what you just, it, it's, this applies everywhere. So that have framework, they have formulas is just, it's, it's excellent. A quick lightning round, if it's okay. Jim Cramer. Okay. I got to get ready. Do I have to do lift weights here and get ready? Okay, no, here we go. I'm, I'm trying to think of what they've done lately on Jim Cramer. I used to listen to him on the radio. I, I don't watch him on TV, but he has a lightning around. So uh, ho nope. hopefully it's, it's okay that I'm plagiarizing his term. But uh, now this is not in the book. This is uh, elsewhere, but no, it may be in the book. Raise your volume. Raise your volume. What comes to mind? Using your voice in a way that's going to grab people's attention. That's the lightning round. We we all have a tendency to stay in that three monotone voice and it gets boring after a while and no one's really listening to you anymore, but you got to have a little vocal variety. You got to take it up a notch and speed up to give a little more excitement. You've got to have the power of the pause. Like all of those pieces are huge in raising your volume having people hear you. This is rich. The seven second rule. 
You know, anyone talking to me always gets nervous about that. But the seven second rule is you have that long to make a first impression. It's probably even less now. So we used to have TV news consultants come in and tell us, like, cut her hair. She needs to wear a different color. And I'd be standing right there. So I understand what it feels like when someone says, hey, your first impression isn't great. I would encourage everybody that's listening to this podcast Ask other people, when you look at me, what story am I telling about myself? What story can others read on me before I've ever even opened my mouth? Because you get seven seconds and you want those seven seconds to be the best they possibly can. Another one, and this is in the book, Feelings Over Facts. Everyone prepares for an interview having all the facts down. And the truth is, if you wrote it all out, gave it to the reporter, the reporter is going to report on the facts What they're interviewing you for is they want the feelings. Reporters aren't technically supposed to share their feelings or their opinion about something. We interview people to get your feelings, to get your opinion. Feel free to share it. That's the most important part. This may be modified, so feel free to correct me because if you go to update the book, you may change the numbers, but I've got 15 verses 25 seconds. 25 seconds is when we're having an interview that it feels natural for me to wrap it up and get it back to the other speaker. The audience wants to hear a change in voice. And if one voice takes over and the other voice doesn't get to speak, it's not good TV. It's not good radio. And in politics, a really good politician takes over and the anchor never gets another word in edgewise. And you know how that feels. It's not right. One more makeup, makeup for guys. And before I, (laughs) before I let you speak real quickly, I used to be in a private membership group with the leadership guru, uh, Michael Hyatt. In one of his private videos, it was one of those be like, be like Michael, be like Michael. So he showed what he wears when he gets in front of a camera and he had this little stuff that you put on the forehead and it was for guys. So guys in my neck of the woods, we don't tend to wear makeup. So part of this lightning around is makeup for guys. That's the backstory. Gentlemen need to wear makeup. If you're going under hot lights, you definitely need a little foundation and a little powder just so you do not get washed out. It's not like you're going to go and do a, what is it, the uh, honorary kiss band. We're not asking you to put on makeup like Gene Simmons. We're just asking for just a little bit of foundation. And again, I know I that's great advice because especially we probably don't think of it. And then you see this shiny forehead. And then when you're looking, when you're looking, it's like, it's hard not to notice the forehead instead of the whole mm-hmm. face. So that's why I brought that up. And I hope you don't yeah, mind. Yeah, you need to bring it up. And it's always funny because guys going to buy makeup feels weird, but every anchor man is wearing makeup. If you do, you it's I guess it's not if, it's when, but when you do the update, there's two inclusions I would like for you to consider uh, in the book. Okay. And I saw this in doing some of my research. Uh, you talked about the power pose which was in an HBR article, and I think the author's name, correct me if I need to, it may be Amy Cuddy, uh, who is now, she's a brilliant writer, but could you explain the importance of the power pose? The power pose, if you want to think about Superman, Superwoman, where they have their elbows out, their hands are on their hips, 
It is a feeling of giving yourself. When, when Amy Cuddy, when they did that for Harvard Research, they recognize that testosterone levels went up when you're in that power pose. Your cortisol levels of stress hormone went down. Police officers are taught to do this when they're speaking to somebody because it is about ga- gaining that authority feeling. So if you're ever walking into a meeting that you're not feeling great about, anything where you're feeling less than, physically getting big can change the way that you feel and that your body reacts to that. So that power pose, standing there for two minutes, I also want to put it with my walk-up song. You got to have a song that gets you pumped up, right? Something that when you're walking in the door, you're like, all right, I'm on it. You need to be on top of the situation, The uh, engineer that I had interviewed at 60 Minutes, when we were just beginning to practice, I I kept saying, you're being small. I don't know how to explain it to you right now, but I need you to be big. I need you to be on top of this. I need you to own this moment. And once he recognized, okay, physically, I'm going to get in there. And also how he visualized it, because he visualized all the people that were counting on him to speak for them. And that came out to 250,000 people. And in his mind, that was four Lambeau fields full of people. And once he felt them and visualized them, did the pose, got his song together, he was big. And then I saw you do uh, with a couple of uh, TV hosts, the word filler game. And I thought this is exceptional. Could you explain the word filler game? game. The killer filler words. If you have teenagers, you already know what this is. Like, um, like, uh, uh, well, uh, you know, where you're as a parent, I have a 17 year old. Like, I'm not so sure I believe in what you're saying. Cause you've said like three times trying to get to the point. Those filler words erode people's confidence in us. So the killer filler word game, and we can play it right now, Mark, if you want, do you want to play it? I like to always do the radio host voice where I'm like, the like, um, and you know game. We can play it. We can play it. Can you play it? I just want to let you know, I am, uh, if if you've ever heard of the Colby Conative Index, I'm a long in the tooth fact finder. I'm a two quick start. So I'm one of those people who has to do my homework. I am not good. I could never do radio. Just I could never do play by play. I love sports. So I'm just telling you I'll play. But I'm the kind of person who has to prep a little bit. I know one of the little secrets to this. I'm game, but I'm going to fail or flail. Uh, No, I'm sure you're going to be fine. And I'm going to play the same topic that I gave to, I'm on the segment that you probably watched, Okay. which is what did you have for dinner last night? Who did you have it with? And did you have any meaningful conversation? And I want you to talk as long as you possibly can without using a filler word like, um, or, you know, and we're all going to listen. Go ahead. Katrina, you'll think that I have a very sorry uh, life, but my wife and I had a long holiday weekend. So we were kind of vegging out. Uh, She was upstairs watching a holiday, holiday movie. What's, I can't remember the the name of the Hallmark, Hallmark station network. She's watching 
which to me, they're all the same. Well, I was downstairs watching Monday night, no Sunday night football. And I said, Debbie, I'm tired of Turkey. I'm getting pizza. So I ordered out, went to pick up pizza from Papa John's. So I was actually by myself. We had the house, big house all to ourselves. So yes, I had pizza. I watched TV. Debbie was upstairs. I was downstairs vegging out. So I talked to no one. How's that? That was excellent. And I heard one word that was kinda, which isn't one of the words for the filler word game. In other words, you that was awesome. The, you you nailed it. Because, Very few people can talk that long without using one. The average American, it's two different studies have been done on it, somewhere between six and ten filler words a minute. I th- is what we use. I think what I've learned, and again, I loved watching that segment, and we'll have it in the show notes. But I think one of the keys, Katrina, and I know you're you're gonna you'll repeat this, but a heightened sense of awareness. And when I do these interviews, I use the word phenomenal a lot to where, Mark, you're an idiot. Quit using that word over. <laughs> if I hear, I I'm, feel you. I, I hear. I so I love sports. And, and there are certain people I really, really like. This time of the year, I love uh, Adam Schefter. He's one of the best NFL uh, journalists on the planet. But if I hear people like that use the word utilization or utilize, just use the word use. Quit, quit trying to sound big. So there are buzzword or terms I just, and for me, it's what word am I overly or using overly a, a lot. So that's one of my filler types terms, not necessarily us and Oz, which I do a lot, but those words, I, am I, maybe I've been around somebody, maybe, but now with you, I have not heard any words that are repetitious. So. Well, thank you. But I do use them. And my husband, I'll come home from lunch with my girlfriends. And he said, was so-and-so at the lunch because you are liking up a storm tonight. Just we we tend to take on what other people are around us, and especially a lot for the younger generation on the uptick. Have you heard about this with the voice at the end of sentences? Yes. Where you're taking it up because it's sounding like a question when you don't even need to be giving it a question. Instead of taking your vocal range down and owning the moment, you're taking it up. And that uptick is a real problem too, but we do pick up on what other people are doing around us. So yes, you're right. You have to stay conscious conscious and aware of what you are saying. You have to slow down a bit with the filler word game to really be, all right, I am thinking about the words that I'm choosing, but you also don't want to overthink it. We had a Charisma Q member who went through our training and we had done this game And then was in front of a client and started laughing. And the client's like, what's wrong? He's like, we're doing this thing with it. I'm a member now and I'm trying to stop my filler words. And I realized I just said three of them. And then they got to talking about filler words and it turned out to be okay. But I said, in practice, it's all right. But in game day, don't worry about it. Just use your normal words. Like just keep talking. That's the biggest thing. Keep talking. Let's plug the heck out of your business. Now, I'm obviously familiar with KatrinaCaravi.com, but Charisma Q, I, I apologize. I'll be transparent. I was not aware of that piece of the business. Is that a separate uh, website as well? We'll be right back. 
Are you interested in small businesses? My name is David C. Barnett, and I've been podcasting and producing YouTube videos about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses for almost 10 years. I'm a former business broker and have owned and operated several businesses, and I've been advising business owners since the 1990s. Each week, I create a new podcast which answers one of your questions, and I've always got amazing, exciting guests. You can find me on YouTube by going to smallbusinessanddealmakingpodcast.com or just search David Barnett's Small Business in any podcasting app to find me. I look forward to seeing you around. It is. So charisma spelled normally with the letter Q. And if you think about IQ, your EQ, we all, everybody wants a little more charisma. And there are components of makeup. Like when you meet somebody and you're like, man, I really like that person. You like and trust them instantly. What is that? And it's a lot of what we already talked about today. First impressions, vocal delivery. How authentic are you? Do you know who you really are? Empathy, audience benefit. How much do you know about the other person, which is the true meaning? Confidence. So if you've got those components going on, that's when you become a charismatic person and you have more influence. You're able to attract more people to your ideas and being able to persuade them to what you want. But it really comes from the first part of having that heart of caring about the other person. And once they can see that that's truly authentic, then they'll care about you. I feel like I'm listening to the modern day version of Dale Carnegie. (laughs) Hopefully that's a compliment. It's a very big compliment. Thank you very much. Yes. Modern day, we're tech enabled coaching. So there's other coaches just like me who have had a history in journalism, big background into what we call channel influencers. So whether they were radio, YouTube, TV, they all have this ability to be great communicators. And then they're matched with our Charisma Cube members. But they go through, we have tech-enabled coaching where you go through a video evaluation and we can tell you what your Charisma score is. So Mark, we could give you your Charisma score. What do you, if your wife, if Debbie had to tell you what your Charisma score would be, what, what do you think she would give you on a scale of one to five? So one being the lowest, five being the highest. Yeah. And I'm not yeah. saying this to be self-deprecating. She would say it's a, a one because I have a very low, yeah, I do. I have a very low-keyed personality. I, I tell people I have the personality of this tabletop. I I really, I know. Not at all, but look at your engagement. Okay, so there's also different levels of charisma. When people think charismatic, and you might think of, okay, my Uncle Joe, who's, hi, hey, everybody, great to see you. There's an empathetic charismatic where you have amassed a following of people who trust and like you because you have cared about them. So you didn't have to be over the top. You had to be all those components that we talked about, which you are. So don't, you're selling yourself short. That table is worth way less than you. She might then add, and this is out of Dale Carnegie, anyone can speak if you love your topic. And and I will mm-hmm. say this, uh, I don't like to talk about myself, but I do love to talk business. So it's very easy to ask questions. Asking questions is uh, is a natural instinct. So when you ask that question, if someone is a one or a two, be in a situation that you find interesting, that's hopefully not about yourself, 
And I don't know if I'm taking any pages from your playbook, but I will say this. Maybe my number is maybe a 3.25 if it's something I'm really interested in. Hopefully this is coming across as a five. Oh, this is coming across as a five. I'm telling you that your level of curiosity, because really empathy is about being truly curious about the other person. So if you think about as a reporter, and that's what you are right now, you're a reporter, you're asking questions, you're driving deeper down. I mean, you've taken the time to read my book and break it down for everybody. Twice, you've read it twice. Actually, three times, three times. Oh, wow. Right. And it's not a long read. I think it's like a two hour read. Right. Um, But when you've taken the time to ask those strategic questions, and then even today, active listening skills. So you're listening to what I'm answering and then your follow-up questions. If everyone could learn to be a little bit more like you, then they would have that attention and influence that they really want. But it's because you had the curiosity. Well, speaking of curiosity, this is one of my favorite questions I ask every guest. And if you're not a reader, that's fine. I have a feeling you are. Once a journalist, always a journalist. What are some of your favorite books, Katrina? I love that you asked that. I'm also a listener. I'm a big Audible fan. Me because too. I, Me too. when I'm walking, doing anything, I'm always trying to listen to the next book, the next hot book. But my my favorite authors right now are Chip and Dan Heath, their oh, brothers. They are phenomenal. Oops. <laughs> they are outstanding. I almost said phenomenal. Remarkable. You almost said phenomenal, which I'll give you a tip for that. Later, I'll give you a tip for words that you say continually. Um, But The Power of Moments is one of the best books because when I'm teaching executives, like we need to make a moment for this big presentation where you're at the end of a national sales meeting, you're wanting to just knock it out of the park. There needs to be a moment. And so I need to listen to all of your stories so that we can create something physically and visually that's going to knock it out of the park. And that The Power of Moments is a great book of theirs. Upstream is a terrific book about trying to figure out problems before they happen. And that upstream thinking. Yes. I love all of their, all of their stuff is really great. Audible. Now, have those been Audible listens? Yep. They're on Audible too. Uh, The Four Agreements. Are you familiar with The Four Agreements? Yes. It's a small book, but if you are worried about your confidence, And you may have what we call those, we call them Zeke and Zelda, that inner naysayer in your head here at Charisma Q, there's Zeke and Zelda. If your Zeke and Zelda are over talking and you're not putting yourself in the situations that you know that you can do a really great job at, you just don't have that confidence. The four agreements is very helpful. Great pick. It sets your mindset right. Like our kids, we don't talk about our favorites and- I like to think of everyone in CFO Bookshelf as a part of the family that's been interviewed. But I'll say this. I've been looking forward to this interview for a long time. I I enjoyed getting to visit with Mary Childs a few weeks ago, uh, who is one of the co-hosts on on NPR's Planet Money. And because of your background, I've read the book more than once, and I've watched you a few times on YouTube. I thought, this is going to be fun. It's going to be punchy. It's going to be engaging. It's going to be lively. Uh, you you checked off every box. This was outstanding, and I cannot 
thank you enough for being on the show and saying yes a few weeks ago. I appreciate it, Mark. This has been a really great conversation and kudos to you for all the work that you do on this for everyone in your audience. You are listening to CFO Bookshelf, lifelong learning for financial leaders. And now back to our host, Mark Gandy. My conversation with Katrina reminds me of a book that a listener gave me a couple of years ago. The title is Fascinate by Sally Hogshead. What a fascinating conversation. Writing effective emails using the have formula or for that next YouTube video or for an investment pitch. Eliminating the word I in those messages and using you. Desired outcomes versus outputs with our audience or customers. Understanding the term impact and defining what you want it to be after any media experience. Raising your volume. The seven second rule, killer filler words, and the big ideas and drivers behind charisma. Such a power packed 40 minutes of pearls of wisdom from Katrina Cravey. Her business is charismaq.com. You can also learn more about her at katrinacravey.com. We need to call this a wrap. I'm Mark Gandy for CFO Bookshelf. Thanks for listening.